Welcome back everybody to Uncensored CMO. Now, this edition is coming to you all the way from Rio and Web Summit, where I'm joined by one of the most influential and successful CMOs on the planet, Fernando Machado. He, of course, of legendary Burger King fame, he went on to work at Activision and now is in a startup scale up at Notco. Fernando is a creative genius. He's been awarded many, many times. In fact, he's been awarded so many times I almost lost count. So it was a great chance to catch up with Fernando and find Find out what makes a great creative marketer. Was that Moldy Whopper campaign actually worth it? Um, and why do they sponsor Stevenage after all? Um, and what is he doing now working for a plant-based company? And what's the future of AI? This is a great conversation with a truly successful CMO who has been there and achieved so much. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Fernando Machado. Welcome. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to be here. Pleasure. Now, we're back here in Rio, a town of your birth, I understand. Exactly. I, live, I grew up here. Like, I lived here for about like, nine, ten years. Uh, it's always good to be back. I still have great friends here. I still, I'm still crazy about my soccer team. Yeah. Or let me say football for the guys who really like soccer, not get angry at me. Um, yeah, so it's just awesome to be on the Web Summit. First time the Web Summit's outside of Europe. I've been to the Web Summit in Europe before, so it's great to, to see the Web Summit happening on my hometown. Great. Well, well, and we're going to talk CMO stuff because obviously Uncensored CMO as it is. Um, you've won quite a few awards, haven't you? I mean, I noticed you've got Forbes top three most influential CMOs. We've got Adweek, Grand, Grand Genius even. Um, Business Insider top 100 most innovative and Fast Company top 100 most creative. Just a few of the awards you've won. Uh, let's start with influence. So what makes an influential CMO? I don't know. I think that doing good work, maybe. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, I, I, I'm super, like, uh, proud of uh, the recognition that we've got, because it's never, like, a one-person show. Yeah. You know, I think I was fortunate enough to work with incredibly talented people on my team, uh, with CEOs that believed uh, on the work that we were doing in marketing and allowed us to, uh, to do the stuff, like, with the agencies, the creative agencies that we partner with, the design agencies uh, that we partnered with. Um, and yeah, I mean, every time we get recognition, like uh, I think it's a bit of like uh, the consequence of uh, uh, of the work. Without the work, there is nothing, and uh, and without results, the work will probably not last much. So I think it's one may become in uh, an influencing person on his or her uh, area or subject matter um, by doing good work, work that drives results and and gets people attention. It's never the objective, like to get recognition or uh, to influence. Like I'm much more focused on, uh, on doing the work and mentor my team and create a culture that values and believes in creativity. And I think that from there, the work comes. And then if recognition comes, that, that's great. What would you say is the toughest thing about being a, a global CMO and doing the kind of role you do? I think the hardest thing is to be able to influence people and influence the organization to do what you think is right. To understand like how things work, to understand how the market works, to understand consumers, um, but especially to be able to create a plan and make that happen. It's a good question because like, I, I thought a lot about over my career, I thought a lot about like, what does it take to do great work? You know, and, and in the beginning, I thought it was criteria. You need to have good criteria to decide things. And then I saw people who I saw doing consistently great work, but they were not great at, at their criteria. Uh, then I thought, well, maybe they trust others, right? I mean, so they have a great relationship with people who have criteria. And then I saw people who 
it, it, that, was not, that was not it, you know, like uh, they were not trusting and they don't have criteria, but still they do great, great work. Or exactly, I saw people who had criteria, uh, had great uh, partners, but was not, were not able to do great creative work, and mainly because they couldn't influence their organization. It is not easy at all, you know. Like uh, so, that to me is like why, like um, why that to me is the biggest challenge that for someone to do the type of marketing work that I admire. I, I know that it's never easy, and it's not like kicking an open door. And if it looks easy, it's congrats to the person who is doing the work because it isn't. You say right, actually. I've got a theory that actually the most there are two hidden P's for a CMO, right? Politics and persuasion, because like when when you get to a certain level, you realise you're no longer doing the job, are you? You're overseeing everyone else that does, and your job is to give permission and create the environment where other people can do it. And like, like you, I've seen situations where someone has been amazing. And yet they haven't got the recognition they deserve. And equally, I've seen people that are really not that good, but they're just brilliant at managing the kind of yeah. reputation and, and so on. Yeah. But I, th- I mean, it's, it's, it's probably an under-recognized skill of a CMO, isn't it? To, to navigate the organization, get them on board with where you're going, create permission. I think that the bigger yeah. the organization gets, the harder that will be. Yeah. The more geographic footprint the organization has, the harder that will be. I think you need to find what your sweet spot is. You know, like, what do you like, what you don't like. Uh, you need to, I, if you can, uh, to work on a place that people share the same ambition, especially the creative ambition. Uh, it's easy to talk. Everyone says, like, oh, I want you to do a great job. Yes, I'm brave. Yes, let's go for it. But when push comes to shove, that's not really what happens, you know? So uh, I think you really need to think about when considering where to work. And, and it's tough because usually people consider where to work by doing a couple of interviews. Sometimes you have a friend on the company and you can talk to the person, but it will be like one or two people max, right? And you don't, you don't know how it really is like in that office. And I think that if you can find a place that you, you share the values, you believe on the purpose, that you believe on the product or service that they provide, and that... You, it, you are aligned uh, when it comes to the ambition for the business and for the, especially for the creative in my case, you dramatically increase your chances of, of being happy uh, uh, on the place. That makes so much sense because actually one of the, some, when we interview, we, we, we're often thinking so much how do we impress the organization. We probably forget to go, well, actually, is this organization the right fit for me? And are you going to give me permission to do great, the kind of work I want to do? Let's talk to people. Yeah. You know, can I meet like some of the people who are going to be my peers, yeah. you know what I mean? Like uh, just to get a feeling um, and really dig in, you know, and, and, and see like who you know, like maybe you know someone who knows someone, you know, like to get a peek behind the curtain uh, on the culture and, um, mm-hmm. and on the purpose and whether what they are saying is really like, if they really mean it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you're famous for doing very creative work, I, I think it's fair to say, compared to the average CMO. I think over 200 can lines, am I right? I, I don't I don't. Count. Or you lost count? It is, <laughs> it is more than 200. Yeah. Which is amazing. I mean, that's, that, that's pretty incredible, but any, any stretch of imagination. How do you create the environment to be that creative? And, and, and I'm sure a lot of people would aspire to be as creative as that and deliver the kind of work you've done. But how, how do you go about doing it? It's, it's, a, it's a journey, right? I mean, I think it starts with, a shared vision for what the brand should be. Like, uh, usually, like, when I start on a brand, like, I really want to understand what the brand is about. Respect the history 
uh, uh, of the brand. You know, some, I work with brands that had more than 50 years old, so there is history there. You cannot just change and arrive and change everything. You know, that's not how it works. But like really a shared vision for, for the brand, a, a clear understanding of what the priorities are for the business. You know, what are, what are we trying to accomplish here, right? And then you start by doing the bread and butter really well. CMO job is always like a balance of short-term, long-term. Usually, in most companies, your boss, as a, if you're a CMO, it's either going to be a chief COO or a CEO. He or she is probably much more focused on the short-term, like usually, right? I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions to what I'm saying, but normally is much more short-term oriented. And I don't think that a CMO will survive if he or she is not delivering the short-term result for too long. So understand the brand, uh, very clear strategic objectives, then deliver the short-term, you know what I mean? Like make sure that the results are coming. You start building your credibility, and then, that's why I was saying it's a journey, and then you start to do things that are more daring, a little bit more out there, uh, testing the temperature of the water, like uh, I was trying to link the results to the strategic objectives uh, that we agreed. And then you start to make the case for creativity and build your credibility at the same time. And not everything is going to be great. And they will realize that even when it's not great, it's okay because it doesn't hurt the brand. And that sometimes it's great. And it's like the ROI when it's great is amazing because if the idea is great, usually we don't even have to put that much money behind for it to take off. And it takes years. You know, I think that the, the, one of the challenges that CMOs also have is the tenure like uh, on the job. You know, I was at RBI, which is Burger King, Popeyes, T. Hortons, for a little bit over seven years. So I had time, it, it gave me time to learn uh, and to do things right, to do a couple of things wrong, and, uh, and, and to develop a relationship with everyone there, and, and, and to build the case, and, and, and build my own credibility in terms of, uh, in terms of the work that, uh, that we are doing. Now, presumably, when you're being as creative as you are, it doesn't always go right. So, so what happens when it goes wrong? Well, most of the time, like when it goes wrong, you simply don't get the amount of traction that you would expect. And, but not getting the amount of, a, a massive amount of traction on something tends to be a very common outcome uh, of most marketing campaigns, especially the ones that are not trying uh, to be a bit more, um, like to have more voltage. That's how I, I say it, you know? Yeah. So most of the time it's like, oh, it didn't work. Like people are not talking about it. Uh, unfortunately, like um, in most cases, it does work. You know, like uh, uh, th- there is a quote from Bill Bernbach that I really like. Bill Bernbach is the is the B of DDB, right? And he used to say something around the lines of, "If your advertising goes unnoticed, everything else is academic." Uh, and I see a lot of people like wordsmithing the copy or this or that. But was the idea good to start with? You know, what I mean, like, and will people care about the stuff? You know, like, I, I think that I put a lot of um, emphasis on making sure that people will notice uh, and they will care. And if you work with great creative partners that understand the brand, that understand, like, um, what are your strategic objectives are, if you brief right, chances are that y- you will become like a machine of doing great ideas. Uh, unfortunately, there are many brands out there that play too safe. You know, like, uh, and I can only imagine how frustrating it must be to have a, for the creative guys, if they are a great creative team and they present ideas that they think is, are awesome, 
uh, independence not doing any of that. You know what I mean? Like, so usually, like uh, with our creative partners, they know that we will do it. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, I get an overflow of ideas because it's for them as creatives, um, it's a better return on thinking, uh, return on creative for them is higher with us. You know, like then if they are like throwing one idea after another for a client that doesn't buy any uh, of that. Uh, that's really, I, I've not thought about that before actually, but you're right. If, if you do the bold creative work, the agency are more likely to step up and go, well, you thought that was good. This one's even better. You know, whereas if you're always dumbing it down going, you know, we've got to tick every box. We've just got to play it safe. Then the agency are going to come back and play it safe, aren't they? I think you would probably not even get the best creative people to work for your brand. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, they are... Uh, they more than anyone else, they want to do great creative work that gives visibility, that gets talked about, yeah. and that drives uh, results. I mean, their career depends on that, on those ideas that they're able to sell. So imagine if you have a client that doesn't buy any of those ideas, uh, and you have another one that actually will make shit happen. You know what I mean? Like, if I were on the agency side, I would yeah. focus more on that, regardless of the agency fee or yeah. anything. And I think that we, in a fun engaging and um, nice way, we tend to always get into that system, you know, where I really believe the more great creative work you do, the more great creative work you will do. Because you end up like seeing more ideas from your partners. Now, now you spent seven years in, a, in one of the most fiercely fought, you know, com- competitions, you know, in terms of bur- you know yeah. burgers, in- intensely competitive, isn't it? Yeah. Around around the world, what would you point to as being the best work you did in that in that seven years? Uh, look, I mean, uh, I think that all markets are super competitive these days. You know what I mean? Like, uh, um, uh, fast food is a super competitive market, but like consumer goods, you can pick any category. Yeah. From pet food to yogurt, like uh, it's it's stuff out there. Um, I think that in our case, we had uh, against the main competitor, which was McDonald's, we had like 25% of their budget. So I really had to have ideas that would make my dollars go longer, you know. Because if it were just a fight with generic things, and I mean, if you if we all do generic work, they will put 4x the money, they will win. You know, and they are top of mind anyway. So if I do generic stuff, people are going to think of going to fast food where they are going to go to the competitor. So we really need to to push. I mean, I, I, like there was so much like great work uh, that uh, that we did. You know, from Proud Whopper, Mac Whopper, Burning Stores, Google Home of the Whopper, Moji Whopper, uh, Whopper the Tour. Like, I think that every single one, oh, not Proud Whopper, like every single one that I mentioned there was a Grand Prix winner. Proud Whopper won 13 Lions, but didn't win a Grand Prix. Um, so they, they got a ton of recognition and they did deliver results. Yeah. You know, and they were done on, on, on a small budget. Yeah. You know, like most of them, they were not expensive ideas. They were not ideas with a massive, like, media plan behind uh, because the idea in itself made the conversation happen. I don't know like which one would be uh, my favorite. I mean, I have a lot of heart for Moji. Uh, Moji won a black pencil on the D&D, like, uh, which was something that I always aspired to. to I was dreamed of, like, and I, I came to terms that it would never happen uh, because like, I feel that maybe we should have one with Real Beauty Sketches for Dove or uh, with Mac Whopper. Uh, Mac Whopper, I think, won six yellow pencils. Like, he didn't get the black. 
Um, so I kind of like gave up uh, on the A&D and with Modi, which was one of the last campaigns I did for BK, uh, we, we got one. So I would say that that one to me is like very special, but so is Mac Whopper. You know, and so is Whopper the Tour. Whopper the Tour is a Italian Grand Prix. You know, like a, it's huge and drove results big time. It's the best ROI we did with any activation in digital. Yeah. Well, I don't know now because yeah. I left like two, three years ago, yeah. but when I was there, uh, it was the best ROI we've got. And uh, um, Moji drove sales, drove brand perception. I made all the data public, by the way, because there were so Did many you? people. Yes. I was going, well, I was going to say that because Moldy is the one that, uh, you know, a lot of the, lot of the work would probably be universally praised. But Moldy was quite divisive, wasn't it? Because it's like, why would you put a, a, a rotting burger yeah. in an ad kind of thing, you know? But that's the thing. Like, people got it, you know? Like, uh, there was already, like, in the in pop culture, this idea that uh, burgers from fast food don't go bad because they have so much yeah. preservatives. That was not something that we created. You know, like people kind of like, there, there was a video from BuzzFeed around that. There is a guy in Iceland who did put a cheeseburger from McDonald's in a glass dome uh, when the last McDonald's closed, when they had the crisis, you know? So the guy went there and bought one and has been sitting there on this glass dome for years. He has a 24-hour cam. Like, I think if you Google, you can find that. Wow. It's probably still there, and it still looks okay. Uh, so, um, so people knew that. Uh, we didn't do on TV, you know what I mean, which is like a mass media. Like, we didn't social and PR, yeah. you know? Like, and I think that, again, the people who... You cannot target 100%, but the people who saw it, most people who saw it, they get it. You know, like if they didn't get it, it would not have changed the perception or sales the way it did. Like the case study video, and if you Google, you'll be able to find, shows some of the data, but I think I did publish an article on it on LinkedIn, showing all the data, you know, like, uh, and, and I know it's very counterintuitive, and I know that it bothers some people, but you know, like uh, that's to me what marketing is all about, or advertising, yeah. good advertising is about making sure that you land the message with the right target audience. Yeah. Like, and you don't have to, don't even try to please everyone because it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, we did ads talking about uh, how we remove artificial ingredients from the products because that was what was behind Modi. Um, and people didn't care. No one talks about it. You know, like, in the, it's a great thing that Burger King, we worked five years to do that, by the way. It was not easy at all. To remove every single ingredient from artificial source from the food, and as we did it, uh, when we were close to completion, we did mold it. And I tried to communicate in different ways. And even though it's important, in the grand scheme of things, for you as a consumer, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, I have big fish to fry. Like, picking up my kids in school is more important than knowing that Burger King removed ingredients from artificial sources from the broth. You know what I mean? So, like, for, for you to land that idea, you need to do something that will demand attention you know, or command attention uh, from people. And that's why Emoji works so well. Yeah. One of my other favorite campaigns, actually, was um, your Stevenage sponsorship. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that was awesome. Like, that yeah, was I didn't mention that. That's, yeah. That's, that's got to be out there, yeah, surely. That's, I think, it's a, a two or three Grand Prix in Cannes. Um, yeah. uh, that was really fun. We had to, <laughs> crazy idea, we, we had to sponsor the team almost two years before, right? Yeah. Because we, we analyzed to see when FIFA, the game, uh, launches, when do they lock the kit? You know, like, so we had to sponsor for two years to be able to have the logo in the kit. 
um, we look at different teams when we try to pick a team that was like really at the bottom of the table, but but that knew they knew from the beginning what we were trying to do. We told them because we didn't want to do something that they feel betrayed. You know what I mean? Like so, we build a relationship with Stephen H. Uh, uh, like our team was there in the stadium. We got jerseys. We sponsored a female team afterwards, and we did a special Burger Queen logo for the female team. That relationship continued to uh, continue to exist. I don't think they sponsor today, but we sponsored for a good two, three years uh, uh, the Stephen H team. And then uh, the idea was a massive hit. You know, um, we basically like hacked into FIFA and had the best soccer players in the world, people who we can't afford to uh, endorse our products, to endorse our products virtually uh, online. Uh, and that was really fun. And, and, and the gaming community really loved it. Now, bringing us up to date, of course, you, you know, you, you took a move from Burger King, selling burgers. You had a couple of years in Activision Blizzard, didn't you? And now you're making quite a different move, aren't you? Yeah. So I was on Activision Blizzard for two years. Like I was on Burger King, which was RBI, for a little bit over seven years. I honestly, like, I, I love that place. I'm still great friends with all the guys there, like... Uh, Every time in Miami, we, we see each other, we talk to each other. I think Bub- Burger King published results, RBI published results today. I sent a note to the CEO. So like, I have a great relationship with those guys. But I, I think I checked the boxes of the things I wanted to accomplish. And I stayed actually a bit longer because of the pandemic. You know, I was a very um, known figure internally. Uh, and, uh, and they always treated me incredibly well. So leaving during the pandemic, like it was chaos, right? I mean, we had countries that sales went to zero because we had to close all the restaurants basically, right? Like there are countries that we didn't have drive-through, you know what I mean? Like, or that the store, the restaurant is in a mall and the mall was closed, you know what I mean? Like in the US, we always had the drive-through, which was already like a large chunk of the business. So US did okay, but in many other markets was tough. And you know, like you remember, right? I mean, it was global chaos, right? So I stayed and then um, then decided to leave when things started to normalize a bit. I I love video games. Uh, I always did. I played video games since I was a kid. And I felt that I had a lot to learn uh, in terms of digital marketing by going to a place that was digitally native, right? And um, and they have great games. Uh, And it was awesome. Uh, When it comes to that, like I've learned a ton. Like, I met some good people, uh, did some good work. Uh, it's an industry that is very different than consumer goods. Um, it's very different than a startup. So it was really like pushing myself into, I wouldn't say outside of my comfort zone, but like pushing myself to learn uh, new things. The, and then the not go opportunity appeared. You know, I was already a fan of the brand. I wrote to Matias, who is the founder, CEO, like two, three years ago. I was still at, at the RBI saying, hey, I love the work you guys do, blah, blah, blah. He replied to me saying, oh, we love the work you do. Um, and, um, and we always kept in touch. And then around end of last year, he reached out, saying like, hey, um, we, need, we need like to revamp marketing. Our CMO left, like I was thinking about you. And a friend, a, a mutual friend also reached out to me to, kind, to do an intro to Matias. I already knew Matias, but he was like, man, you, you guys are very like-minded and you will enjoy. So um, I visited New York, met the team, got a peek behind the curtain on the technology, and I felt it was like a unique opportunity, you know? I believe on the purpose, 
I was there, like, I was one of the key people leading the launch of Impossible Whopper uh, at Burger King because I believe, like, and we did a national, we did roll out in all Europe, like, the products all over Latin America. So I always believed in plant-based, and I am flexitarian. I eat beef, and I eat also, I try to incorporate as much plant-based as I can. That, that's not new, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not vegan, I'm flexitarian. I felt like this is a unique opportunity, you know, to join a startup that I believe with people who are like-minded, who share the creative ambition to the point that I made in the beginning. And um, pre-IPO, like, uh, like very decent valuation. The company is valued at $1.5 billion, two rounds uh, to validate that, validate that, uh, that, um, that valuation. And um, great joint venture with Kraft Heinz in the US, which give us scale like uh, products that I, I was consuming way before, like uh, I even met Matthias. So I decided to jump, you know, and, and take the leap of faith and, and go there. And I always try to work with a startup mindset, no matter the size of the company. And now I'll be able to work on a startup uh, and, and learn what a startup mindset really is. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm having a great time. Like uh, it's one month-ish or officially and um, we already put some good stuff out there, uh, and there is so much more coming. What do you think? What do you think is bigger cha- the biggest challenge for you is going to be? Because obviously you, you've worked on some very big brands. You know, back at Unilever, obviously, uh, you know, then at Burger King for a long time. Although you weren't the dominant player, still had some decent budget. So, what are the challenge is going to be for you now? I think it's scale the business. You know, like uh, and gain distribution and list the product everywhere. I, I don't like. Of course, like Notco has way less money to invest than Activision uh, and way less than Burger King. You know, like those are brands that are consolidated, global footprint, massive scale. I think in the U.S. Burger King has like almost 8,000 restaurants. You know, it's huge. Um, But when I think about it, when I was there, the stuff that you asked me about, I think that all of it was done on a budget. You know, it was not like Stephen Age like yeah. was cheap. Modi was cheap, so you can do a lot with little. Uh, but I need the business to scale. You know, it's not even for me to have more. It's like as for me to have the full return. You know, like on the investment that that we make, like because we will make people talk about not go, uh, but I want them to buy too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and if the if the product is present, then it's the step one to be able yeah. to buy. Right? I mean, I don't want people to be talking about Notco and, and not buying the products. I'm convinced on this, actually, because um, I, I once uh, did, I did a podcast once on creativity. And it, while I was preparing for it, I, I thought, I'll write down the five most creative things I've ever done. Four of them had no budget. Because actually, you know, I think what happens when you have budget, you tend to spend according to your means, don't you? Whereas actually, when you don't have budget, you're forced to be really creative. Yeah. So I wouldn't say, like, just don't have budget and make yeah. it. But, like, but I think you can do a lot. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, when I brief, I don't constrain on a budget. I explain to people like we are startup and this and that. But we get like we have on our pipeline some really ambitious ideas. W- one might be a little bit more expensive, but when I say a little bit more expensive, like a million dollars, you know, like uh, I did campaigns that were way more than that. So y- you can do it, you know, like uh, and even if you have money, do something creative. Right. I mean, why not? Like it always it, it does work better. Yeah. Well, the other thing, of course, we're talking about technology at Web Summit, aren't we? And AI. Yeah. But because AI plays an interesting role as well in product development as yeah. well for you. Yeah. Can you explain a bit about that? Yes. 
So um, we basically, like our business model is rooted in AI, right? I mean, we have uh, an AI, uh, the name of the AI is Giuseppe. We basically like uh, analyze animal-derived products uh, almost like at the molecular level. You know, we do chromatography studies, like physical properties and all that good stuff. We feed that to the AI. The AI then um, proposes like four or five, I'm, I'm oversimplifying here, right? yeah. propose like five formulations on how to accomplish, to get to a product that's exactly like that one, but only using plant-based plant ingredients. Then our R&D, food scientist, chef team goes and prepares the product, tries the product, sometimes there's a consumer panel, yeah. and then goes back to AI and say, hey, number three is the best. So the AI proposed another five based on that information. And with that, over time, you converge very quickly, especially if you compare with normal CPG products. Remember, I work on CPG, I worked for Unilever before. Like sometimes, depending on the complexity of the product, it can take like one, two years, or maybe even more uh, to develop a product. And uh, in our system, we can do stuff in weeks, uh, literally. Like uh, there are some products that develop in two weeks, which is unheard of. Uh, even when we don't have the experience on the product, because like of the the interaction uh, that we do, like uh, we can converge in uh, in the right product very very quickly, uh, and and the quality of the product is great. I mean that's why we have a joint venture with Kraft Heinz, for instance. We are doing every single one of their key products. We are creating the plant-based version, and it's co-branded. Uh, the name of the product, Notco. Yeah. So you you will have you already have in the US. Craft singles, not cheese, like uh, we just launched not mayo. Um, what else is coming? There is a lot coming. We're going to do like every single one uh, of the key products, um, their plant-based uh, version. And do you get the benefit of their supply chain distribution network yes. as well to yes. get it out? Yes. We create the formulation. Um, and it's a JV, right? I mean, there is a person who leads that. There's a marketing team and all that good stuff. It's neither Craft Heinz nor yeah. Notco. It's a bit of both. I'm on the board there. Like I... I support uh, the marketing team, um, and there is some really cool stuff coming there too. I think AI is such an interesting conversation, isn't it? I mean, a, a couple of experiments on that system. One actually, um, one is: Do you remember the Nike Tiffany collaboration? As if I you do. saw, yeah, that. Yeah. Well, we um, we put we put that through the system on test. It's like a five star scale, right? So five star being guaranteed success, one star being terrible. It, that that came out as a two point five star, and I thought, oh, I wonder if AI can beat it. Four point nine. So AI-generated Tiffany, you know, trainers beat, comfortably beat the Nike original. Now, of course, you can debate around, you know, you know, do Nike, you know, it's a limited edition, it will sell out anyway, who are they targeting, that kind of thing. And interestingly, we, 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 there was an a, a AI-generated pizza commercial. I don't know if you saw that. I saw that. And the, did you see that one? Yeah. It was all over LinkedIn. It was, wasn't it? That's it, that's it. So we put that through our system. Again, five-star scale, five being great, two and a half-star. In fact, it was exactly the average score of every ad we've ever tested, and we've tested over 100,000. So it's almost by definition the most generic, the most average ad. So it's quite interesting, isn't it? You know, AI in one case adding, you know, to what, what, what yeah. we can do, and AI in another case reducing almost to the sort of yeah. average. But like in the end, it's all about the brief, right? Mm -hmm. In this case, so for instance, when you go to an AI and say, "Hey, show me a Nike Tiffany collaboration." Uh, that is the idea, yeah. right? You, so yeah. you gave the AI an idea, and the AI executed your idea. Yes. The AI never said, the brief was not, hey, AI, come up with a cool Nike collaboration, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? When you go and you say, hey, create a pizza commercial, 
I think that AI will tap into what pizza commercials are. So it doesn't surprise me that we'll give you an average because that's how yeah. that's how uh, open uh, AI works, yeah. right? That's I mean, a really interesting way to define it, actually. Because when, yeah. I was, when I first, yeah, when I first learning computing or whatever at school, they had this kind of garbage in, garbage, garbage out rule, yeah. didn't they? You know, yes. back in the day. Yes. In a way, it feels like that with AI, doesn't it? It's, like if you think about Mid Journey, it's all about the prompt, mm. right? You need to give it something. Yeah. Maybe in the future it will change, but today. We move from uh, curation to creation, uh, but like, and we use AI uh, in campaigns and creating assets, design. But we use it as a stimulus. We use it to inspire the team. We use it to open new avenues of thinking. You know, like uh, it's like it's a tool. Yeah. It's not doing a hundred percent of the work. You know. That's a really good way of putting it, actually. It's, it's not replacing, but it's enhancing or, or you know, enabling you I, to scale. I see today, it may change in the future, but yeah. today I see it as a tool. Yeah. So which bits of marketing do you think will be most transformed by AI? Again, like it goes from curation to uh, creation and God knows what's coming next. But like, um, um, like all the, all programmatic, right? I mean, and A-B testing and targeting, like, uh, and I've learned a lot about how to do that in a modern way when I was at Activision, right? I mean, I think that on my early days in Unilever, if we did two assets to test, it would be much, too much. You know what I mean? Like, to, the marketing would complain, oh, I have to do two, you know, to do A-B testing. And you have, like, three headlines for one and two body cops for the other. And, and, and you know, and it would create a couple of different banners to see which one works best. I'm talking like more than 10 years ago. Yeah. And cut to on Activision, we had some campaigns that had like 5,000 assets. You know, like, and who are you targeting? It doesn't matter. AI will find the best asset and the best targeting to convert. You know, like, uh, uh, and lots of people struggle to understand that concept. They would be like, oh, but I need the call to action to be that. Like, no, you, we have that. It's one of the 5,000. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because like every time we would we would like put assets out, I would I always try to think which one is going to perform the best. I never got it right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so I trust more yeah. the model to find so that to me is transformational yeah. in terms of like how you how you do programmatic and how you plan your media plan, how you do uh, digital marketing. I think that evolving from there, like uh, I think that in our case might be a bit different than others because our whole business model is rooted in AI, right? I mean, we create products using AI. So everything that I do with AI helps me land that point. You know, like I think that if I were another brand that's not necessarily rooted in AI, yeah, maybe I would be doing some AI stuff because it's kind of hot, but it doesn't necessarily help you land your point. You know, when Notco does, it's helping land our point. You know what I mean? So we did like a campaign where we call attention to people to the fact that uh, animals live m a much shorter lifespan in the food industry than they would live if they were in nature. But like, it's from weeks to years, right? I mean, it's a massive difference. And that's why you don't remember seeing an old cow or an old chicken or an old yeah. pig. The image that is engraved on your brain is probably like a yeah. early days. So we use mid-journey, we used AI to imagine these animals and we launched a campaign around that and saying that explaining what I just did and saying like, and just like we use AI to create our products in, without animals, like it's all plant-based. So in our case, it's not just using use of AI because it's hot, 
or because it's trading, it's helping land the point uh, of the company. Um, I think AI can help you create more assets to A-B test, you know what I mean? Like I was describing the number of assets. I think AI can help you like in so many different things. But today, I think it's a tool. Like I, I think it still requires a talented group of people to be able to find the right use and uh, and leverage to its best potential. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I remember when you know, direct-to-consumer first became a thing. Everyone had to have direct-to-consumer in their plan, didn't they? Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, is that the answer to the problem you've got, right? If it's not the answer to the problem you've got, exactly. don't use it, right? Yeah. But if it is, like you, then yeah. it I makes sense. I think that sense. there is some yeah. use of AI that I see out there that's just because it's hot. Yeah. And it, maybe it works. Like, it works tactically for someone to grab someone's yeah. attention with a cool idea. But, like, it's not intrinsic to the core of the brand. Yeah. Now, we're at Web Summit, and you're about to do your keynote speech on stage. Yes. Tell me what the title of that is. You've got a curious title, <laughs> haven't you? I do. I, in fact, like, I had a debate with my wife about the title, because I always ask her opinion about things. She didn't like much the title. So I'm here to make a killer job on the presentation, so I can rub on her, saying, like, hey, you see, it did work. I'm, I'm joking. Like, um, uh, so the title of the presentation is uh, Think of a Color That Doesn't Exist. Uh, it is rooted on this fact, which it's, I know it sounds like a... Not, not real, but I promise you it is real, that when I was a kid, I used to think about, like, how can I think of a color that doesn't exist? Never managed to do so for obvious reasons, right? Uh, and, and, I, and I will talk about AI. I will explain what Notco does in terms of using AI to create plant-based products and, and, and explain that that's just 1.0, you know, like off the plant-based revolution, off, like, how you can use that technology to, uh, to apply to products, you know, like uh, uh, today we have capability to have, just as an example, uh, our AI analyze chocolate uh, and understand why people like chocolate and create a flavor that doesn't exist, you know, that, like because you like, you know, like a, your Spotify playlist, because you like this, you also like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. We can do that stuff with food, you know, like which to me is the closest I can think of in terms of imagining a color that doesn't exist. Yeah. And even how we're using AI in our campaigns, I think that the example of the old animals is one. I will show a radio ad uh, that we did with celebrity voices. They're all made by AI and how you cannot tell the difference, just like you cannot tell the difference between an animal derived and a plant-based product uh, these days. So um, it should be fun. Uh, hopefully people will enjoy like seeing uh, some of the work that's already coming out. Uh, and it's just the beginning. I mean, we have a lot uh, that's coming uh, in terms of like the deployment of our technology and in terms of uh, ideas uh, for how to increase awareness and top of mind of Notco as a brand and, um, and show to people like how great the products are. Yeah, brilliant. Looking forward to it. It'd be really good. Well, let me, let me finish on this question. What would be the one bit of advice you would give to somebody who's you know, starting out in marketing or following in your footsteps? What advice would you give them to... Look, I think I was always very curious, you know, like, and I always loved what I was doing. Um, and I knew I didn't know things. So I used to spend hours and hours and hours watching ads or looking at design. And it was not easy, like back in the day, because today you have all the internet. Back in the day, I had to borrow the VHS tape uh, from the one club, you know, like from the agency, because I didn't have money to buy one. And, uh, but I always invested a lot on learning and, uh, and surrounding myself or getting close to people, not surrounding, getting close to people who were willing to coach me and show me or people who I admired. Uh, many times I was lucky enough to have bosses that were like that, but other times I was just reaching out, you know, and you would be surprised uh, how open people would be. 
uh, you know, like, uh, so I, I was always like pushing to learn. I was always very curious. I always invested a lot on, on, on learning more and getting close to people from who I, I could learn. Um, and I think that that happened because I really liked what I was doing. And I think it never felt like a burden. When I say like, oh, I used to watch ads, which is true. It's like, seriously, like why we're not playing soccer or going to a club? I was trying to do that too, but I really enjoy doing that. You know, I enjoy design. I enjoy advertising. I enjoy concepts. I enjoy products. I go to the supermarket and spend a freaking hour, like looking at stuff, you know? Oh, because you work in consumer goods? No, I, used, I was doing that when I was at Activision too. Uh, I just yeah. like it, yeah. you know? So my advice beyond like being curious or learning or being humble or all those things that are ingredients, but my biggest advice is like find something that you really love uh, to work on or a place that you really love to work on. I think I was lucky that in many, part, many times of my career I had both. I had the people, I had a place, I had a brand, like I had all, the, all of the above. And that's really helped shape me uh, uh, as a marketeer. Uh, and life is too short for you to not be working on a place where you feel valued or you feel that you're learning and growing and progressing. So that would be my advice. Do you know, the, the, you're absolutely right. The learning and support is amazing, isn't it? Because like, we go back to when we were younger and there was so few ways of learning about something or networking. Now we're like LinkedIn. You can get hold of anybody pretty much. And there's amazing opportunities well, to learn. I would be curious as hell. You know, I'm, I'm still curious. Yeah. Like, uh, but like, I, I have hours and hours playing with me journey myself, like, uh, or ChatGPT, or like, whatever you am, am I the master? No, I'm on the freaking newbie group. <laughs> like, uh, my prompts are only one line long. They're not like, uh, uh, like a two-page prompt. Uh, but like, I think that if I were interviewing someone, I would ask like, okay, so what, like, what's your favorite, like, what's your favorite prompt? You know, give me some prompt tips of what you do, you know? Um, or like, uh, did you ever write a concept on ChatGPT? What are the, the strengths and weaknesses of that? Yeah. You know, because I, I don't even care like what the answer is. I just want to see if the people are curious, you know, like, uh, because I think that if you're curious, you will learn. Uh, and if you're coming to work with us, like I, we will invest on that experience. So find a place like that, you know, that would be my tip. Brilliant. Fernando, thank you so much. No, it's my been pleasure. amazing to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. Brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching and listening to the Uncensored CMO. If you'd like more of these, then please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're watching YouTube, please go and hit the subscribe button. I really appreciate it. If you fancy leaving a review, that'd be amazing. Please go and do that as well. And if you want to get in touch with me, I'm over at LinkedIn at John Evans, on Twitter at Uncensored CMO. Please do get in touch with me and I look forward to you joining me next time. Thank you. Yeah, let's do one more question. Yeah, then. Yeah, biggest, absolutely. biggest. What's the biggest thing that's gone wrong? Uh, man, so many. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's part of your learning journey. You know, like I think that the most common market mistake I've done was um, stretching the brand too thin. Uh, I think yeah. that usually happens when things are going well, uh, and you try to, uh, and then you forget your core, and you reach out too far, and your core declines faster than the other will grow, you know, like uh, there were some campaigns that uh, didn't go like we intended, you know, end up like offending people. Um, and like, um, 
I don't, I don't mind, or I wouldn't mind offending people if that was intentional. No, not that we ever, that I ever did a campaign <laughs> to offend anyone. Um, but when it's unintentional and, and yeah. you take a step back and you feel like, yeah, we, we, we screw up on, on, yeah. on that one. Uh, I think that that, that also happened, yeah. you know, like, uh, and, uh, and w what I try to do when that happens is to protect the team. You know, like, I think that if you, um, if you don't do that, then people become automatically less brave, yeah. you know, and if they feel that you have their backs, then they will not shy away to, to keep it coming, you know? Yeah. I think that's the, the key. That is so important, isn't you it? You know, I yeah. think, look, I mean, it's like nothing is as bad as it seems and, and nothing is as good as it seems, you know? Like, so to me, is like when something works, great, let's do even better next time. If something didn't work, okay, what are the learnings we'll do better next time? So it's always about making it better, you know, and learning and like, um, and building a culture that people are not afraid to share the thing that didn't work so that other people avoid doing the same mistake yeah. you know I mean, well, that's, that's really have you read uh, Matthew Syed's Black Box Thinking no it's a brilliant it's, it's exactly this I mean he goes he looks at the airline industry actually yeah. and in the airline industry if a plane crashes they have to share the black box data so every basically what happens is that everybody else in the airline industry learns right so one crash saves million, potentially millions of lives in the future right but in, the, um, in surgery, apparently in hospitals, it's very different because they're worried about being sued. They're worried about reputational damage. So if something goes wrong, usually it's covered up, right? And, and it's not shared. Yeah. So what happens is surgeons keep repeating the same mistakes. Yeah. And, I think and marketing is closer to surgery. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Than the airplane industry. But it, it's not easy to create that culture. You know, like I think even for a CMO, you know, like I think you your instinct is to get it right yeah. um, and your desire to get it right and, and maybe you're going to play a bit safer in the beginning um, until you build your credibility and you can push further, right? I think that I'm lucky enough that I've been working on this for many, many years. The people who hire me kind of like know what animal they're getting. That's true. <laughs> uh, yes. So I can arrive already. Like I think that the, the limitations I have are my own limitations of knowing the industry and um, and learning the brand and seeing what connects well with consumers, which are things that come a little bit over time. But I, today, I don't think I have a limitation in terms of how far I can push the creative, you know, at Notco. The fear thing, I think, is so important. I mean, I've worked in cultures where everyone was afraid to make a mistake, and it's it's you know you you blame. You know, blame someone else. And there's the old phrase, success has many fathers and failure is an orphan, isn't it? You know, which, yeah. which is so true. But I think giving permission to fail and to protect people when it happens yeah. is so liberating. It's the only way to build yeah. the creative culture. In my yeah, life. otherwise you just can't get creativity, yeah. can you? Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Thank you. My pleasure. Cool.